Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison for the usual busy show. So, England make history in Multan winning a thrilling second test by just 26 runs to seal a historic test series win. We'll hear from England captain Ben Stokes and spinner Jack Leach discusses reaching 100 test wickets. As well as that, we'll discuss the ongoing story out of Australia as David Warner withdraws his appeal from a lifetime leadership ban. Robert Crash Craddock joins us uh, to ask what next for the opening batter. And Paul Newman from the Daily Mail will join us to tell us why Steve Smith should not be invited to play county cricket ahead of next summer's Ashes. And we end the show by looking at any other business as Gary Balance moves to the country of his birth, Zimbabwe, and John Lewis gets off to a winning start as England women head coach. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I have to say, uh, Harmi, um, Mark Butcher, our dear colleague, uh, tweeted at one point on the fourth day of the Test match that only a brain fade can now deny Pakistan victory after they added 80 for the sixth wicket. They were two, went from 210 for five to 290 for five. England were under the pump and, of course, they won by 26 runs. There is nothing Ben Stokes and his new team can't do. Absolutely. They were magnificent. They really were. And to be fair, Butch is right. Pakistan had everything in their favour. The left-handed combination that came in in the middle order because of the cracks on the on the outside the off stump, the two left-handers batted brilliantly in the middle and you're thinking there's there's nowhere to go here. There's, England are really, really struggling to find an answer to break the partnership. And what happens? Champions turn up and you know, Mark Wood, so the effort that he put in, he said afterwards he was he was knackered, he was tired. It was but a but a position to be in tired like that after the after a fantastic win. You know, the whole hard effort that he put in. Jimmy Anderson again, what can what more can you say about a 40-year-old? He's just he was just amazing. Found the wicket at the right time. The wicket he got Rizwan the night before was uh, was ridiculous delivery in Pakistan from a seam bowling point of view. Um, and the one thing that England have done throughout this whole series, which I never thought you could, we could do over there, was England seamers out bowl Pakistan seamers in their own back garden, and because of that, that's why England are two 0 up, two catches down the leg side, basically had balls that didn't have to go at. I think that's what Butcher was alluding to is that they brought their own demise because it, at one point the two left-handers and Nawaz and Shaquille and Nawaz, there was no. No danger to them. Well, England really have dominated Pakistan seamers. And when you look at it, Jack Leach hasn't bowled, you know, he hasn't bowled brilliantly, I don't think, over the course of the two test matches. So to go and win, to be winning 2-0, two test matches in a fortnight, when you've only won two test matches in that country in the history of the game, without somebody who is, you'd say, is a master spinner, I think that's that's hats off because you know they've just found a way of getting twenty wickets both times, largely down to you know heroic effort from all the seamers, and some very very good and innovative innovative 
captaincy from Ben Stokes. It's always tough to keep on low, slow wickets, especially I mean, for a full-time and never mind a, a part-timer like Ollie Pope. And he had a couple that were very low, a couple that the third umpire had to look at. The dismissal of Shaquille was obviously, Saad Shaquille was obviously a, a massive moment. It was a turning point of the Test match. Um, and there was some debate about whether it carried to, to Ollie Pope. Obviously, the dismissal stood. Your thoughts? I don't think it was out. I thought it bounced. I really did. Not so much bounce. I just thought he, he dragged it along the ground. I thought he, when he's when the ball made contact with a hand, I don't think Ollie Pope could have any idea of, of of that because you know sometimes when you when you are catching the ball and it is so low to the ground because you've got your you're sort of keeping your, your head up. His eyes are, are are not on the ball, and it's instinct when the ball goes in your hand from a, from a closing your hands point of view. I think at that point when the ball hit. Ollie Pope's glove as he's gone sort of across the ground. I think the ball's been dragged along the ground. I think Mike Lathman agreed with that. Butch mentioned Butch. He he didn't agree. He thought it went it went cleanly in. Um, but who cares? To be honest, it, it's a stroke of luck that England deserved at that at that time. And good on Ollie Pope. He's done brilliantly for me in the in the two games he's kept wicket. He gives them a, a headache and he he gives them a solution from a selection point of view if they want to bring Johnny Besto back into it, because can Ollie Pope keep his place in the side as a way to keep up for now and for the time being until Johnny gets fit and comes and resumes and takes the gloves on? Or does Ollie Pope see this as a, a long-term future thing? England have got more options when you've got one of your top six keeping, well, top seven keeping wicket as a, as a batsman point of view. And they're good headaches to have. Johnny Besto coming back into the side, the one person who's not getting replaced is Harry Brook because he's magnificent throughout this whole test series and he has been throughout this test match with that wonderful 100 match and 100 in the second innings. Okay enough from us let's hear from uh, Ben Stokes after a historic series win they've now taken 20 wickets in every single one of the 17 innings under McCullum and Stokes they've won eight out of the nine test matches and this was just yet another very very special one for the England captain. Coming into this game being 1-0 up before we even bowled the ball you know I think we all understood that you know, what we could achieve um, before we started this game. And, you know, we're not naive in the fact of what we know we've achieved here because we know how tough it is, not just for, for English teams to come here and win, but for any team. You know, Pakistan are a huge threat in their, in their own conditions. So, you know, not for, for one minute are we, um, you know, going to think that, oh, no, it's just another Test Series win. You know, it's beating Pakistan in Pakistan's massive. Um, so, no, we, we know what we've achieved. We know that it's a very special... Um, thing in, in English cricket to come here and win. So, no, we, we know what we've achieved um, and another great win for us. That's Ben, Stoke, uh, ben Stokes reflecting on a memorable, memorable victory. Mind you, um, how many of those eight uh, eight victories in the last nine test matches will be quickly forgotten? I don't think very many of them are in the quickly forgotten category. Anyway, you mentioned Jack Leach um, and we must hear from uh, the left-arm spinner on reaching an in- not inconsiderable milestone of 100 test wickets. I can't really believe it. I didn't think that that would ever happen. So, um, yeah, it's a nice little milestone to get to. And um, I don't know, 100 wickets feels like quite a lot. And um, it's more than I ever thought I would achieve. So um, I need to remember that, you know, with as sportsmen and as people, I guess, we're, you know, it's easy to just push on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, and ne- nothing's ever enough. But... I've probably been learning on the on the job, if you like, in Test cricket, and um, I feel like I'm getting better and better and learning more and more. So, if you told me when I was a kid that I'd take 100 Test wickets, like I would have laughed at you. So, yes, it is special. Jack Leach reflecting on uh, 100 Test wickets. Um, that's a fabulous milestone, you know, Harmy. And I I can't help wondering whether he would have had any chance of getting there if Ben Stokes hadn't been appointed Test captain. Yeah, I don't think he would. I really don't think he would. I think Ben, right at the top, nine test matches ago, said, Jack's my man, I'm going to pick him. I think there were, you know, there was a lot of clamour for to try and lock down a different avenue. You know, Matt Parkinson has talked about he should be playing test match cricket. And that was a clamour until we actually seen him play. And then they realised that he probably was not to you know, the test match arena. The answer is there's not many spinners out there at this minute in time knocking on Ben Stokes' door to say, come and pick me. I'm better than Jack Leach. I'll give you a better option. 
Um, so while that's the case, Jack's in pole position in number one and 100 test wickets, like you say, is no mean feat. You know, Joe Root got his 50th test, ma- test match wicket during this, t- this test match as well. But he pulled 26 overs in Pakistan on a fourth in a fourth innings and he didn't bowl a maiden. And you're looking for obviously a little bit of control. You're trying. I know Ben will had the field in, but to only get what he got, he got one for 113. There's just something at this minute in time that's one bad ball and over or a four ball and over. He's dragging it down. I don't I don't think he had one of his best test matches, but not to say that he's not a very good bowler. He is, he's a he's a fine bowler. He's just possibly had a little bit more pressure on his shoulders. Maybe it's a, an internal thing, thinking he's got to to bowl these magic balls because they're playing in the subcontinent. But at the minute, the seamers are carrying you know, this team and this the reason why they're tuning up is largely down to the seam bowlers and not the spin bowlers. I think Jack, when he reflects on the on this tour, he probably thinks so far after two test matches, he probably haven't seen the best of Jack Leeds just yet. Harmy, which exclusive club did Joe Root join Steve Waugh and Jacques Callis in? Was it 10,000 runs and 50 test match wickets? It's <laughs> a fantastic achievement. Um, and you've been saying it for many, many years about how good a bowler Joe Root is. And I go back to what you said on the following on podcast the other day. The reason why he hasn't got 100 test wickets is because he spent five years as captain and he didn't bowl himself. That's why he's not got as many wickets as as Jack Leach. He is a fine bowler. He he took a beauty again to get rid of Faye um, Ashraf. I think just, you know, the, the first wicket, you know, this morning. You know, Ben went with, it was an interesting. I thought Ben could have went with the two seamers. Um, when he went with the new ball, but he actually went with, obviously he went with spin, he went with you know, Leach and, and Root, but Joe got him the wicket, good catch by Zach Crawley, but Joe Root is, for me, he's still probably our best spin bowler in the country, but the problem is he's got a dodgy back and he scores far too many runs to to sort of put that in back in jeopardy by bowling far too many overs, so... He is a fine, fine cricketer. Great thinking cricketer. Was England captain. He's now enjoying himself at slip, watching his team you know, win match after match. And whenever he's asked to contribute with bat or with ball, he never lets, he never lets us down. OK, finally, I know that you would have been delighted to, to watch Ben Stokes not bowling. You predicted that uh, he might bowl himself to the point of prematurely ending his career before the series began, but he didn't use himself because he had Mark Wood there. And as I said, that sixth wicket partnership of, of 80 that uh, threatened to take the game away, he he got rid of both Mohamed Nawaz and Saud Shaquille. So Mark Wood with four for 65, fabulous, fabulous effort. And uh, once again, you know, <laughs> Stokes afterwards saying, well, as the cracks got wider and wider, we knew our seamers would come more into the game. Yeah. It's just so backwards. No, it's supposed to be the spinners. Absolutely. And they've done it uh, again. They did it exactly like Rob Pindy, where we, we said the other day. It was, it was, it was the opposite way a, a, a normal conventional test match in the UAR, in the subcontinent would be. Um, seamers in the first innings, spinners in the second innings. But as we've seen in nine test matches, Ben Stokes and his team don't do things conventionally anymore. They do things in a way to try and win games. And Mark Wood was unbelievable. I thought Ollie Robinson was, again, unbelievable. And so was uh, so was Jimmy Anderson. And there's a ring to that three at this minute in time. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a few bowlers on the outside, possibly before this tour, thinking this could be the graveyard of the three fast bowlers. You know, we'll be ready when New Zealand comes around and when the Ashes comes around, when it's going to do a bit. And that's not the case. These probably these three now are in pole position for me to play in the Ashes. I just wonder how much more, if ever, Stuart Broad will play for England. Yeah, he's he, he's been on the he's been on the telly. He's been on my couch with some funky funky gears on. He's he's looking a bit smart there, Stuart, sitting comfortably on that couch. And the, there might be a few people thinking, yeah, you just sit comfortably on that couch and stay there, but don't write him off. Yeah, don't write Stuart off. He's, for me, he's still a fine bowler. He's still somebody who will have a huge part to play for me in New Zealand and in the Ashes. England are going to, it's going to take a monumental effort to win the Ashes because it's five games and five, nearly, nearly 
five and a half, six weeks. And I think you need a bigger, you need a big pool of bowlers. As much as Anderson and, and Robinson are probably going to play three, well, possibly play three back-to-back games in Pakistan, um, I think you still need, uh, you're, you're still going to need Broad. You might need Wokes, definitely going to need Archer. So all of a sudden, I've, I've named six bowlers there. There are three bowlers with a three that's in. That's a nice pack to go into the first test match against Australia, if all fit and firing. But at this minute in time, the ones that are playing in the team are the ones that are doing the business. And when it comes around first test match, as it stands, for me, it's Wood, Robinson and, and Anderson, who would be my my uh, my first picks because of you know what they're doing at the minute. And Stuart might have to go back to Nottingham and bang on the door um, from a bit of a distance in county cricket and say, right, I'm not going away. I'm in good form. And if somebody gets injured or somebody loses a bit of form, I'm ready to be picked. And I've got no no doubt Stuart will do that. But at this minute in time, he's probably he's probably second pick behind Ollie Robinson in the role that that he normally that he's done brilliantly for England for so many years. I think he might just have to he might just have to do something special early season to get himself back into contention of being in the first eleven, um, or he might have to wait for an injury because at this minute in time. You can't leave Robinson out. You can't leave Anderson out. And it's either Wood or Archer. And for me at the minute, the way Woody's just gone, I think Woody might just be just be, uh, just be be sneaking it. So these three are in position. They've got the shirt. If the Ashes was tomorrow, they would be my first three picks. I'm delighted to say, as promised, at the top of the show, we're joined live by Robert Craddock from the Brisbane Courier-Mail. He's been watching South Africa's warm-up game against uh, Cricket Australia 11. But uh, it's another Cricket Australia matter that we want to talk about. And that's David Warner announcing announcing that he is withdrawing from the process implemented by Cricket Australia um, uh, when he was attempting to have his lifetime leadership ban overturned. There is a great deal to this story. It's been going on for months and months and months. And there seem to be two sides. Well, there are obviously two sides to the story, Crash. Yeah, you're right. Like Joe Public has had enough of it, Manners. Look, there is a theory out there that Warner should never have been banned for life or Steve Smith from a year from the captaincy. They just should have been sacked. You know, sacked them from vice captain and the and the and the leadership. That's fine. And just leave it at that. And, and I get that because Cricket Australia has tied itself in knots, Manners, over this. And it still can't work it out. It, it can't make a decision by itself. It called in an independent tribunal. They said to Warner, we'll have a public hearing. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not having any hearing in front of the public. And that was the that was the end of it. And now the focus is on his form, averaging just 22 over the last year. Crash, is it? Has David Warner come out and, and sort of removed his appeal? Is this putting even more pressure on Cricket Australia and how badly they've handled the, the Smith Warner whole debacle because one's captain and the other one seems to have been hung out to dry. Yeah, people have noticed the contrast, Harry. They really have. I mean, some people like Ian Chappell actually considered Steve Smith more culpable than Warner because he said, mm. it, no, if you're the captain and you know something's happening, it's your job to jump on it. So it's still a great mystery, Steve. Who knew what about the ball tampering? David Warner has signed a six-figure contract to do an end-of-career uh, autobiography. Now, <laughs> that will be interesting, mate. That will be interesting. I mean, it's uh, his manager said you'd have to be a blind black Labrador not to realise that more people knew than just Smith, Warner and Bancroft. So th- that's the next big story that could really rock Australian cricket if Warner names names. Crash, for somebody who fought so long for the majority of his career and with a great deal of success, I have to say, to claim the moral low ground in cricket, to watch <laughs> him now clambering for the, for the high ground and claiming to be, um, refusing to be the washing machine for Cricket Australia's dirty laundry, claiming that he's being hung out to dry and lynched, it all seems quite difficult to uh, digest. Manners, you don't even have to add an explanatory sentence to that some people are saying that like they're sort of saying hey David David you know you haven't got the high ground in this argument you know you were convicted of that heinous offence however neither side has come out of it great I have to say that like Craig Australia have bumbled and bumbled along with it 
And to think they could sort it out in the middle of a season when you've got South Africa six days away from playing a test match and it's still, you know, you're still working out what you're doing. The whole thing has been pretty ungracious. But, yeah, look, the interesting thing now is uh, how long will Warner play for now that this band has been, you know, seemingly uh, continues to, to hover over him. I mean, there was a thought that the captaincy may have put a fresh sort of Uh, vitality in his career well that won't happen now will it and he's got really really brutal schedule ahead South Africa in Australia then India and India then Stuart Braw his old nemesis in England can he is he up to it can he do it at age 35 I'm not sure Crash what do you make of um, Warner's manager's claim that uh, that it was as far back as Hobart in 2016 when Australia were bowled out for 85 or 84 by South Africa, that two senior CA executives were in the changing room and insisted that they should be tampering with the ball. Is that the claim? That is the claim by James Erskine. I don't agree with it, Manners. And I've spoken to people in that dressing room. And, uh, you know, one of them, Ian Healy, who was there as an ex-player, that they, Australia lost so badly. They called in all these ex-players into the dressing room and say, please talk to these kids. And they listened to the address and they didn't hear that. Manners, what they did hear was a couple of executives saying, you are paid to win. Lift your game. Now, a couple of years later, before they went to South Africa for the ball tampering series, I understand there was a second meeting. And at that meeting, there was uh, a lot of talk about they're doing this, they're doing that. And the unspoken assumption was Australia needed to catch up to them, to what South Africa were doing. But at no stage did anyone say this sentence, I think you should use sandpaper. I don't believe that was ever uttered. But there was an inference that ball tampering was a dark art and it was part of the game. And if you weren't part of it, you were being left behind. Yeah, I I get the. As a former bowler myself, I understood how... You tampered with a cricket ball. Taking sandpaper onto a pitch when you've got a million cameras is probably the most stupid thing anybody can ever do, if you're if you're brutally honest. Um, there are there are ways of helping a cricket ball get into a position to reverse swing. And our cricket Australia now at a point to go right, let's get his book out. He's averaging 22, let's move him on, let's get his book out. We don't want this hanging over the ashes. Because at the end of the day, Crash, you know more than anybody else, being in the game nearly as long as manners, you're having this, hanging this, hanging over your head, going into a huge series. It's not something that 10 other players, 18 other touring members would want between now and June when they come to the Ashes. No, it's a very, very good point, Steve. And Usman Khawaja made a good point the other day. Him and Warner are the same age, thirty in their mid-30s. And they played in the same junior teams together. Strangely enough, as bowlers, not batsmen. But but Kawaja made his point. He said, I've played 51 tests. David's played 98, even though I debuted before him. So he said, I've got a bit more petrol than David. And, and that's why he's feeling the pinch right towards the end. So it's interesting that Australia's selectors have said they will stick by Warner for the moment. Now, he will get this series. He plays his 100th test against South Africa in Melbourne. Nothing that happens in Brisbane will stop him from getting that. Then he will play the third test in Sydney. But then, Steve, you're right. Then's the big call. It's a big call for the man himself. It's a big call for Cricket Australia. Does he really have another Indian series in him? Or do you move him on at a time when, you know who his replacement would be? It would be Usman Khawaja's best mate, Matt Renshaw, like a kid he could mentor. So it's fairly attractive. It's worthwhile saying, too, that David Warner's manager, James Erskine, said, I have said to David, do not blow up the building in your autobiography. Do not do it. It's not worth it. You've got to work for the next 30 years. But he said, we'll just stick to the facts. But, Steve, to stick to the facts actually does blow up the building. They're not very... If he said these three words, all right, all Warner would have to say is these three words. They all knew about yeah. ball tampering. That that that's blowing up the building, even though it doesn't sound dramatic. If you know what I mean, like I mean, 
because it challenges all the, everything everyone else has said. Do, do, but do you not think, I don't know about you, Manners, and looking from the outside, but that building is it's not got many bricks left to blow up when you look at the Pat Cummins, Justin Langer, Cricket Australia debacle of what happened with winning the Ashes, winning the World T20, then the coach gets sacked, all washing was aired in public. Cricket Australia's buildings, it doesn't, I don't think it's going to take much dynamite from David Warner to blow it up a, anymore. It's just that, Steve, the bowlers put out a collective statement saying they do nothing about the sandpaper. And so it was a collective statement. You know, it's there in black and white, about four or five paragraphs. So if he said everyone everyone knew, and I don't know, I don't know what he's going to say. He may say the opposite. But if he said that, that that isn't actually a volcanic moment, I have to say, in Australian cricket, because everybody who signed that statement would then be asked by the press, can you please tell us the truth of this story? David Warner says, A, you say B, what is the truth? So it's interesting. Um, and, and I don't know how many people knew. I've always suspected there was far more than the three people knew. But uh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be, it's a good point you make, get the book out of the way. And, and Steve, you know what books are like. He signed a contract three years ago. They're, they're big money books these days, you know. Half a million dollars, seven hundred thousand, but they want to know that you've got to sing for that. You, you can't just say, "Oh, let's let bygones be bygones." You know, you've got to. They're very specific about this. What you, if you've got a story, you've got to be prepared to take it. If you, if you take the big cash, yeah, as I can imagine, manners. It's not going to be a, well. I would, have, I would have thought David Bronner would have brought a coloring in book out, but you, it's not going to be a coloring in book, is it? It's not going to be a dot to dot. The dots are going to the dots are going to potentially implicate somebody. And that person, Crash, could be the Australian captain because of, like I said before, what he did with Justin Langer. And he would be part, he was part of that bowlers unit that said, you know, we didn't, basically we didn't know. If Davey Warner comes out and says they all knew, it's the Cricket Australia, it's their captain, it's their flagship, it's their guy, he's their, he's their man. What happens to Pat yeah. Cummins then if that, if, that, if that is true what Davey Warner says? Well, he'd have some talking to do, Steve, wouldn't he? I mean, like, Warner is the only person who knows the full story of this. And he kept it, he kept his silence for four years. When his manager went off the other day, I understand David was not overly impressed. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't want him to say that. He didn't need him to say it. It only inflamed the fire. But there's so much mystery about that, that ball tampering affair. They did the inquiry really quickly. And Steve, one thing, the reason, the single reason I thought a lot of players knew was this, all right? Because ball tampering was not a strict secret that you kept. If someone was on drugs, uh, performance enhancing drugs, they'd keep that a secret. If someone was taking money from a bookmaker, they'd keep that a secret. But Steve, you know, Bowlers and teams talked about fiddling with the ball like they talked about filling in their expenses and they said claiming for that taxi on their expenses that you, you know, that uh, you took to the races, not to a function. So it wasn't something that teams kept secret. They talked about it in a communal sense. That's why I was staggered that only three people knew. Crash, final, final word on this. We've got a break um, because we need to move into part three, but just very briefly, I don't want to lead you into speculation, but how much plausible deniability is going on here? When, when people say, we did not know, is it clear that they did not know that anything was happening or just that they didn't know what grade of sandpaper it was? Yeah, it, it's a, and I haven't got the statement in front of me, but it was very much, we did know, not know that day that there was a plan to use sandpaper. But they have issued general denials, so manners. You know, I've sat on panel shows with bowlers, and and you know, I'm not. I'm still keeping an open mind. If, if you know, like if that's what they've said. Like I'm waiting to hear what Warner says about it. But you're right. It's like someone said to me today that he felt the denials were a little bit Bill Clinton. No, I didn't inhale. <laughs> you know what I mean? That sort of thing. But it's. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting issue, it, and it's has it's created a cloud over Australian cricket that has never really left it. And I, I don't feel that the bowlers are that close to the batsmen, uh, or certainly the senior batsmen. 
few of the bowlers got married earlier this year and I, I looked at the wedding photos. I couldn't see a batsman there. Maybe it was a coincidence. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. If I could just please ask you to stay on for a couple more minutes at the beginning of part three, um, because we'll continue this debate. We're also um, going to be talking to uh, the Daily Mail's cricket correspondent, Paul Newman. Uh, he's written a powerful column uh, suggesting why Steve Smith should not be invited to play county cricket before the Ashes next summer. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Daily Mail Creek correspondent, uh, Paul Newman. Um, this is an issue that has, I can remember, being a subject of debate for over a quarter of a century, at least for the last five or six Ashes series, Australia's players playing county cricket, acclimatising, and there are always arguments for and against, but a very strong argument against uh, coming from Paul in a couple of days ago, um, suggesting that it would just be madness for Steve Smith to be invited to play three games of county cricket, and it seems that Ben Stokes is in agreement. Paul? Hi, Neil. Yeah, I mean, as you say, this is this is not exactly anything new, is it? This has happened for years, and I'm sure... Uh, Steve can tell us many examples of it happening during his career, but this just seems a step too far to me. I, I, when I read the story, I think it was Will McPherson in the Telegraph saying Steve Smith wants to come for three games or maybe four. I thought, oh, well, that's nice of him. He wants to come over for three, maybe four games, acclimatise nicely, get get ready for the first test and, and, and away he goes. It, it, it just, it just, why, why would a county do that? It just seems to be no upside for English cricket at all. I, I know the counter-argument that it it can improve the standards of the championship. It can have a positive impact on the dressing room. It can it can encourage you know young English bowlers to to have a a, a great player to bowl at. But it just seems it's such a short time, and it's so obvious that it's just to get in tune uh, and acclimatise for the Ashes. That I would hope that the counties on this occasion at least will turn around and say, Do you know what, we'll we'll look elsewhere for our overseas players this time. Robert Craddock, yeah. just before we let you go, your thoughts on the subject. I'm actually sneakily agreeing with Newis because I've always felt this for years. I can't believe we've got away with it. And I'm actually quite upset that Newis is on to us. <laughs> but look, you, you, the, the benefits for county cricket for, for teams, it all started in the, even in the 1980s. Alan Border, when he went to Essex and he played with Graham Gooch and loved it and, and, and you learn about England. And, and we just had the West Indies out here in Australia. And one of the key things behind their demise is that a lot of the counties don't touch West Indians anymore. And all those great names, think Gordon Greenwich, think Hampshire, think Joel Garner, think Somerset, Viv Richards Somerset. Like it all started in county cricket. And I can totally understand if England's power brokers say to Steve Smith, 
no, no. Uh, you know, it's it's and and to me, it's part of the Ashes narrative. It's a bit of good, strong decision, but I'm surprised that English counties have been so gracious to in preparing Australian teams. Like that's that's just a straight preparation exercise, isn't it? Three or four games. So I'm hoping he'll sneak through, but I'm fearful that newers you might have caught him by the tail, old mate. <laughs> it's interesting you say there, Crasher, about Alan Balder. I mean, I grew up watching that Essex side and, and Balder was fantastic. I remember him playing some marvellous innings for Essex. But the, the point being, he was part of the, the fabric, wasn't he? He was part of the team. He was there all season. He was there for a couple of seasons, I think. And he had a huge impact on young Essex players and county cricket. But just popping in for three matches is, is a nonsense, really, isn't it? Oh, it, it is. And I, I tell you what it does do, too. It demystifies players. You know, like he got to know Graham Gooch. They were almost like brothers by the end of it. And, and that's what happened to a lot of players going over in county. You know, Greg Chappell went to Somerset early. Uh, you know, Stephen Wall went over there. And, and, and it just Terry Alderman, I mean, the, ash, the, the guy who took 40 wickets on two Ashes tours, learned his skills over there. So, and, and it's a beautiful thing. I, I used to love viewers when we would go to Manchester and the Copthorne Hotel in an Ashes series would fill up with play with people who played with the Australians in league cricket. Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, Greenmount, um, where Matthew Hayden went, you know, there'd be the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker would come down. They'd all be in the bar telling yarns. And, and that's another level. But, but the county level, sure, it really helped Australians. And I for Steve Smith to get a four-match four deal would be extraordinary. <laughs> but good on him for trying. Thank you very much indeed, Robert Crash Craddock. It's been fantastic to have you. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see you live in less than 24 hours. Thank you, man. It's for the first time in six and a half years. It'll be great to shake your hands, old boy. I'll see you then. The one and only Robert Crash Craddock. Many thanks to him. Um, so, um, Paul, it was very interesting. And you actually mentioned this in that column that we spoke to Paul Farbrace last week. And I was surprised that he was prepared to say so openly that he didn't believe that some counties or was it was it several counties didn't put the, the priority of, of England's well-being um, at the top of their list. And uh, that, that surprised me. And, and obviously you picked up on it as well. And if if a county said, well, we the benefits to us of having Steve Smith for three games outweigh the potential negatives to England, that would be very difficult to stomach. Yeah, I, I can't see how they can they can sustain that argument. Really, as you say, I, my my ears pricked up when I heard uh, Farby say that on your program last week. It was one of the many nuggets you have on this this excellent podcast, and I, I think he has a point, doesn't he? We've, there's always been this this suggestion, this allegation that. Uh, that there's been a lot, you know, too much self-interest among the counties. I mean, we've seen it recently, haven't we, in the high performance review of Andrew Strauss being virtually thrown out, out of the window by, by the counties because basically it was a high performance review aimed at making the England team better. And a lot of counties said, look, sorry, this is not really making, uh, making our, our, uh, our lives better. So we, we don't want it. Now, I do have a, a certain amount of sympathy for them. I think the counties, are, you know, just chucking in the hundred, for instance, was very hard for the counties to, to deal with. They do have a, a, a duty to, to to try to win trophies. They do have a duty to put on entertaining cricket for their members and supporters. But the bottom line has to be that the England team must come first, surely. I can see, you know, Crash mentioned Alan Balder there. Well, he was a fantastic overseas player. He mentioned the great West Indians. There have been some sensational overseas players in my time uh, watching watching counter cricket, which goes back rather longer than I care to, care to think about now. But they were here... It was a different landscape, wasn't it? They were there not just for the season. They, in some cases, I watched the, the the great Ken McEwan. What a what a test career he would have had uh, in, in a different era when I was growing up. But he was part of the furniture. He was there for 10 years. He had a positive impact on the quality of the, the cricket and those around him, as did Adam Balder, as did so many others. But now, obviously, it's very hard for players to, to, to come over for any length of time. And I can understand that. And the one thing I would say that I was pleased about when I read about Steve Smith and also others, Lozman, Kawaja, Travis Head, both want to come over, apparently. Uh, Marnus Labashain will be a Glamorgan again, I think, is at least they're, tr- they're taking the Red Bull game there and then coming over two days before the first Ashes test or something like that. Clearly, the Ashes is still very, very important to them. Clearly, they want to be ready for the, the Ashes series. So that's a, a plus. But I just cannot see 
in this instance specifically on Steve Smith, how there can be any benefit to the English game uh, or the England team in the Ashes series whatsoever. Yeah, I get that. I really do. And I, I find myself sort of not sitting on the fence, but on, on sort of both sides of, of the argument here, because I don't have a problem minus lavishing your, the way you're talking about Alan Border and other overseas players, from the, the bygone years, ingrained in their system. He's Glamorgan. He has been Glamorgan for, for, for a number of years now. So I've got no issue with that. Travis Head came over and played at Sussex. He averaged 11. He didn't bat very well. So... The one thing I will say is the counties will take Steve Smith. No question whatsoever. Somebody's going to say, some chief executive is going to go, I will give Steve Smith a lot of money to come and play four championship games because he is going to give my team the best chance of being in the top division of, of the county championship next year when it when it comes about. When I played, Paul, I didn't have an issue. I really, I wasn't bothered. I, I remember, I, I have, to, have to tell the story, but I, I remember a few few. A few years ago, in 2009, I got picked for the, the air team going in against Australia and come off the back of you know a young man who just come up from South Africa and got back-to-back hundreds in Philip Hughes, who sadly obviously passed away. And when he, when, he, when he came in, I was like, nobody knew a great deal about him. And within, within an hour of bowling at him at, at Worcester, I felt as though I had a, a way of getting him out. You know, the short ball in and around the rib cage. I delayed that message back. I relayed that message back to Freddie and to the bowlers that were in the test team at the time. So there is there is two sides to that story. I don't mind people coming over and playing because it is a chance that other English players enhancing their game by playing against these players. But I do I do get why people don't like the fact that he's coming for four games. Do you know why I don't like that? Because four games more than any of our other England cricketers in the championship. So if it's good for Steve Smith to play full championship games, why is it not good for Ben Stokes? And I understand the argument that they need a rest, but if Steve Smith's going to come over and play full championship games leading into the Ashes, why hasn't why doesn't the likes of Stokes and Wood and Archer and all these lot? It's not going to happen. So that's why I'm that's why I'm torn a bit about well, Steve Smith coming to play. I think we can get at, potentially have a chance of getting at him, but we can also hold on here if he's coming. If he thinks like Travis Head, like Manus Labuschagne, and if they all think that four championship games is good preparation for the Ashes, what's the best preparation for our team going into the Ashes? I can guarantee it'll not be four championship games. So I'm torn between you know what is good for one and what is good for the other. But the argument of not having Steve Smith in county cricket, as much as it's it's a good one, I'm afraid I don't think it's going to happen because some director of cricket is going to go, right, we'll have him and we'll give him for four games because really, like Fabi said, do we really care about the England cricket team? It's more about the counties looking after the counties. And, and I'm, I'm sure you're right, Steve. I'm sure there'll be several counties who will be happy to take him. Do you think they need, when they come out and say why though, do they need to justify it in your mind? Do they need to, should they just put their hands up and say, do you know what? We're not really worried about the Ashes series. We're not really worried if we give the, the, this guy great preparation, we're thinking about ourselves or, or will they need to or will they need to sort of justify in some way why they're doing it? it? It's all, it all depends on what hat you've got on, Paul, for me. If I'm a director of cricket at somewhere like Surrey or at Yorkshire, I'm going them to for an example and somebody gives the argument to me, why you signed Steve Smith? I turn right back round to them and go, well, last year, the quarterfinal of the T20 Blast, we could have had an international game and we ended up playing second teams. Because you wouldn't let these guys, Harry Brook and all these guys play. Joe Root, Johnny Bear, all these guys. Surrey could have had five or six England, England players. Yorkshire could have had five or six England players. But you didn't let us have them. I'd be turning around and say, well, why? You didn't, you didn't let us have our players when they were potentially available for our big games. So why should we not bring Steve Smith into it? So if, that's, if you're a director of cricket of one of them, because that's where he's going, he's no disrespect to Leicester and Derbyshire and Northampton. He's not going to Wantage Road. He is going to the Oval. He's going to Headingley. He's going to Old Trafford. He's going to one of the big boys because they're the one that's going to pay him. So from that argument, I'm going, well, you don't give me my players. So if you're not going to give me your route for three games before the Ashes, if I can have Steve Smith, why would I not take him if I'm a director of cricket? Now, obviously, on the other side, if you're Rob Key, and Richard Thompson and Richard Gould, you're saying, well, hold on, why are we giving our best, biggest competitor, i.e. the best player on their side, a chance of acclimatising? Counties, well, hold on, they'll have that counter-argument. So as much as I really want them not to come, 
that's what I'd be saying if I was director of cricket at a county when I give these examples. You're not giving me my players when they're potentially available and they could have played. So why should I hand it down to you when you're asking not to give a chance for a competition to have a game of cricket? Yeah, I can fully understand that. I think that's a really good point, actually. And it all comes down to the the fixture list, doesn't it? And the changing landscape of, of the of the cricket world, you know, with so many franchise competitions they want to play in and with the hundred. I know, you know, I've listened to your thoughts regularly on this program about about the hundred, and I think you're you're spot on. And and I can see that if the count if the chief exec saying, hang on a minute, I can't have Joe Root, why can't I go out and get a player of, of an equal caliber for my early season game? So I, I do take that point. I just think in this case it would throw out such a a negative message to the uh, to, to to the England side and, and to the English game. If he turns up at Surrey with the great patriot Alex Stewart, or uh, if he had, ends up at Yorkshire with the great patriot Darren Goff, you know, um, will they do it? Will they actually say, do you know what, we, we're going to look at the bigger picture this time and, and we're not going to do it? That was Daily Mail cricket correspondent Paul Newman. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former Durham and England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Let's turn our attention back to Australia and uh, look ahead to uh, the upcoming series against South Africa. The West Indies provided precious little resistance for Australia. Um, they were blown away, bowled out for 70 in the last innings. We expect South Africa to put up a bit more resistance. A much, much stronger bowling attack than the West Indies. Um, will it be good enough to to trouble Steve Smith and uh, Marnus Labuschagne, as well as the rest of the Australian top order. It's the South African batting that uh, is uh, fragile, to say the very least, without a single batsman averaging uh, 40 or above. How do you see the series going, Harmy? Yeah, I think it's all about the batting. I think it is. It's all about South Africa's batting. If South Africa's batting turn up and they get a score on the board, they've got wicket, they've got wicket takers. They've got bowlers who can take wickets, but... We've already spoken about Steve Smith coming over to fill his boots before the Ashes. Well, he's filled his boots along with Marnus Labuschagne against uh, the West Indies, ready for what is obviously going to be a, a tougher test in South Africa. But they're in a bit of nick. So as well as South Africa have got the bowlers, have they got the batting to turn up and, and put scores of in excess of 350 minimum on a board which will give them a chance to be in the game? I'm really looking forward to this series. I think it's going to be a, a good series. Um, because of the pierce attack going against the pierce attack, it's where the South Africa's batters can can withstand you know, the the barrage of whichever bowlers. Because let's be fair, Australia, you know, even their backup bowlers of of Nisa and and Boland came into you know the last Test match against the West Indies and a pretty light work of of uh, a fragile unit in from the guys from the Caribbean. So I think it's a better test for Australia. But if South Africa don't score any runs, then I think the same outcome will come and Australia will leave their summer coming to England or going to India in decent form, confidence high and, and another series victory. Because um, when you look at the Australian unit at the minute, it looks very, very good. But with Anrik Nokia, Lungi Ngidi and Marco Janssen, the six foot eight inch left arm seamer, they will put the Australian batting under pressure at one point. At some point, they may even bowl them out for 250. Uh, mm. But it's a question of whether their top order can then score that many themselves. And have a look out as well for uh, young Gerald Kutsia. Really looks the part. He is, uh, he's charismatic. He's very quick. He bowls 150 kilometres an hour. He's all over the place at the moment. But um, it doesn't mean to say he can't bowl a wicket-taking ball as well as a couple of four balls every over. He's not in the first choice 11, but he's definitely one to look out for. OK, just another couple of items of news. Neil Wagner signs for Yorkshire. Um, I'm just a massive fan of Neil Wagner's. I mean, he's one of those fast bowlers. There aren't very many of them, but he's, he's 37 now, but he doesn't seem to have slowed down or, or, or lost any of his enthusiasm for the game. Yeah, that's, man, that's a great signing. I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think he is a, he is a Darren Goff character. But I also, I also think he's only got one way of bowling. He's got, I don't think there is a, 80% Neil Wagner, he, he, he's going to run in and he's going to hit the middle of the pitch. He's going to give everything he's got. Yorkshire fans will love him. And 10 games, that's a, that's a great signing for 10 games for Yorkshire. That is a quality, quality signing. When you look at other players that Darren Goff could have available from a bowling point of view, I think Yorkshire have got a chance of bouncing straight back into the top division if there's going to be a top division in 2024. 
Um, but I think Yorkshire Yorkshire have, have made a good sign in there, and I think the Yorkshire fans will will enjoy the way the way Neil Wagner goes about his business. And he is, you're right, a lot a lot like Darren Goff's big heart, big character, um, and he um, he gives everything every time he goes out and plays. And it's I think it's a good move. And well done for Goffy for for getting Wagner over the line. Choice of three, John Lewis makes a winning start as uh, England women's boss with 3-0 ODI series win in the West Indies. Bangladesh uh, beat India in an ODI series. They scored 400 in the last game with Ishan Kishan scoring a double hundred and modestly saying afterwards that he could and should have scored 300. And Stephen Fleming is set to take over from Mahela Jayawardena as head coach of Southern Brave. There's your last three. And great for Bangladesh, great result for, for that. Yeah, that part of the world have they've certainly improved and beaten India. And to be fair, what an innings it was by Ishan Kishan. And we weren't expecting anything other than a, I think, an England victory over in the Caribbean. Great to see Nats give her back um, after the the troubles that she's had, and she got a hundredth cap in the process for John Lewis's you know, tenure to, ver- to to start well. And as much as I'm a a big knocker of of foreign coaches coming into the hundred and yeah, why can we not have English coaches in our flagship tournament? I think to get Stephen Fleming to come over and coach, it's a massive coup for, for English cricket to have him in our system, even if it's just for a short period of time, because what he's done with Chennai um, has been amazing over the course of the, the, the sort of whole IPL. So that's a, that's a big, big coup for, I think it's still Mark Nicholas. I think our great friend Mark Nicholas is still the director of cricket at Southern Braves. Um, so for Nico to get Stephen Fleming, yeah, very, very good. As much as I want to see English coaches in the system, when you get somebody like Fleming, even for a short period of time, I think that's a big, big thing for, for English cricket. And good luck to the to the lads who are going to work with them because yeah, you've got six or seven weeks there of picking the brains of not only a fantastic captain and leader, but also a fine, fine short format coach. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app. We'll be back at the same time next week to discuss the ongoing third test between Pakistan and England. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.